Podcast. The book of Romans has been called the king of the New Testament epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. Heavenly Father, here before us, the crown jewel of the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. Lord, there just are no human words, nor can our human minds wrap themselves around these supernatural, precious truths that defy adequate explanation, but by your Spirit, we can discern these uh, truths and put them into practice to be blessed. We pray for your help. In Jesus' name, encourage us, we pray. Amen. Amen. I was surfing around the news stations, and I landed on a very intense courtroom scene. A man actually was being sentenced to death for some heinous crime that he had committed. And there was a close-up of his face as the judge was rendering the sentence. And uh, he had a look of appropriate dismay, a look of being stunned by that news. The death penalty has been around for a very long time, ever since God established it shortly after the flood. Uh, some 4,300 years ago for the crime of murder in modern times. From 1970 onward, there's been about 1,500 men who've had to hear those horrific words and have the gavel slammed down. I've got a little slide here to put you in the mood for the intense um, subject. Hardened as they may be, uh, you know, you'd think that even the worst sort of felon, hearing those words and the gavel comes down and just knowing that fate hangs over your head and it's just a matter of time. It just must be dreadful. And this, of course, is what the gospel spares us from, from being condemned not for any crime that we've committed necessarily, but because of our sin. And yes, that is part of the good news. We call it phase one of the gospel. Romans chapter one, two, and three really were dedicated to this, to haul every single sinner into the courtroom of heaven to hear the judge of all the earth say guilty as charged and the wages of your sin and my sin is death. And so with the death penalty hanging over our heads, the gospel that comes around and says, well, no worries because there's a way of escape. There's a way for a guilty person to be declared 
innocent and acquitted of all charges. That's the gospel. No matter what kind of sinner you are, one of those flagrant, kind, bad to the bone kind of sinners, or one of those good guy, basically good guy, give you the shirt off his back kind of sinners, or the religious type sinners. Romans, the first opening chapters, was dedicated to show you if you've sinned and all have sinned, and no, there's not one good person in God's eyes, that the wages of those sins is death. And so God was very clear when he told our parents, you know, Adam and Eve, uh, if you sin, you break, you transgress the law, that's a capital offense. And that day you do that, you will die. And so their children and their children after them, and here we are, the children of transgressors who prove that we are transgressors because we break God's moral laws. Even the ones that we agree we shouldn't break, we end up breaking those. Well, so that's the unpleasant truth that we've gone through, that convicted murderers are not the only ones who've had to feel that dread and hear that sentence of death. We've heard it. We've heard it through the gospel. Hebrews 9 and verse 27 said, It is appointed, and that word is a legal word. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. So we've heard that, and the wages of those sins is death. It just didn't look good. And so there we were, and then entered the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was no way out, no exceptions, unless, of course, you have a Savior. So Paul has spent now chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 explaining in detail about God's love and God's plan to bail us out, to forgive us by sending his son to be an offering, a payment, a ransom for our sins. And so he explained it in great detail what God has done, intervening, the love of God, the death of Christ, the, re- the one requirement. Simple trust and faith, because we can't be good enough. He was good for us. He lived the perfect life. He died the perfect death. And then he says, just trust me. Come to me. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Romans 8 has been called the crown jewel because it kind of says, ta-da. Now, after I've explained what God, your predicament, helpless and hopeless, and God's great love, how he intervened through the death burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the one requirement, all you have to do is trust in him, surrender to him. Now, Romans 8 says, here are the benefits. Let me just wrap it up for you. (laughs) Really, there's no condemnation, no defeat, and no separation from his love. Not a bad deal for those who were formerly on death row. Amen? Well, okay, let me try that again. (laughs) Not a bad deal for somebody who was facing eternal punishment in hell. Amen? I thought so. There you are. Okay, so a pastor can have no greater joy than saying to a congregation, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. All right, let's consider it. Here we go. Starting in verse 1, we'll get down to verse 11. Now, therefore, in light of everything I've just said in seven chapters, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, the gospel, has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, the commandments of God, keeping commandments, being good, was powerless to do in that it was weakened by our sinful natures, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin once and for all in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. He goes on. The mind of sinful man is death. The mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of being right with God, righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead is also gonna raise you from the dead. Really give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives where? Where does he live? That's right. Very good. All right. Thank you for that. So, yes, we've gone from a, quite a terrifying predicament. Uh, as Hebrews put it, it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, especially when you're a sinner and he's holy. Right? So we were sinners in the hands of an angry God, as that clearly states in the New Testament as well. But that's only part of the story. We've gotten to the part that just is spectacular, a wonderful rescue being in Christ or belonging to Christ now. So all he's asked us is to kind of have a change of heart, to put our faith in him. And now, instead of being in the hands of an angry, vengeful God who's going to require payment for sins, we're in the hands of a merciful God who pardoned our sin, who gives us a new nature, a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so... Really, the details of uh, Romans chapter 8 really fall under this kind of heading. God's spirit in God's children, because that's who we are now. Now we are that we've turned to Christ. It wasn't the case before. John put it this way. John says, he came into the world, the very world that he himself created, but the world didn't recognize him. Not even his own people recognized him, John chapter 1. He says, but to all who received him, who believed on the name of Jesus, to them and them alone did he give the right to become children of God, not the result of two people getting together and reproducing, but as the result of the will of God born again from above, and that's the life that never 
dies. And so Romans 8 is kind of the fleshing out of what the gospel is all about, being adopted into Christ, being joined to him, and what that means that the Holy Spirit lives in us and empowers us and is the source of all that we do. So there are three things to look for in our text this morning, note takers. When you are God's child and you have God's spirit in your heart, three things you're free from. And Christ said this, whom the Son sets free, boy, you're free indeed. And this is what he's talking about. Romans chapter 8 is what Jesus was talking about when he said those words. Number one, you're free from condemnation. Verses 1 through 4. That's the truth that sets your heart free. We'll talk about it. And number two, he says, you're free to choose now. You, don't, you didn't have that choice. We were always kind of stuck with our tyrannical nature, calling the shots the sinful nature. We didn't have a choice for life and peace, but only destructive things. He says, now you've got uh, freedom to choose, verses five through eight. And then finally, we'll wrap up with freedom to conquer, to live victoriously through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, come on, who's living inside you? The spirit of who? The spirit of God. So you're going to be able to handle whatever comes your way. So let's dive in. We'll put the first part up, freedom from condemnation. Let's start with the therefore. Therefore, there's now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the gospel, the law of the gospel, Christ Jesus set us free from that law of sin and death. Let's talk about this, okay? So that very first word, therefore, is important, right? Because it's in light of what I've been saying. So chapter 8 is the summary statement of everything that's kind of come before, all the wonderful a loving intervention of how God rescued us from our um, deserved judgment and the wrath of God and, and just by forgiving us and all of that. And so the grand result is there's therefore now no condemnation. The word condemnation, the word judgment is buried in that word. It really has two words Judgment and down. That's what condemnation means. It's as if uh, the emperor was asked to make a call and somebody's got their opponent down on the ground with a sword over his chest and the emperor says up or down. The word is to condemn would be a down judgment. And now the gospel is all that God can do with those who are in Christ Jesus is an up judgment. He has no other option. Why? Because you are in Christ. Now, as opposed to before you were in Christ, God has only one way to deal with you. He must be for you because you're in Christ. He cannot condemn you because you're in Christ. He'd have to condemn Christ to get to you because you're in Christ. Therefore, anybody in Christ cannot be condemned because Christ himself cannot be condemned. But it gets even better than that. David Guzik put it this way. He said, since God the Father does not condemn Jesus, neither can the Father condemn those who are in Jesus. They are not condemned now. They will not be condemned one day. They cannot 
be condemned. And Paul's going to say now, and I can prove it. And he's going to say, through Christ, the law of the spirit of life, the gospel, has set us free from the law of sin and death. So here's what he's going to argue. He's going to say, if sins have been condemned and paid for, all of them, right? The wages of sin was death. And the reason you have to die and face God is because of your sins. But if the sin that causes the death is removed, paid for, the ransom's been, been done, then you don't have to die. What's the point of dying? I mean, it's like a collection agency going after you uh, when somebody paid off the debt. And here's the twist. It was the collection agency that paid off the debt. So he said, come on, folks, let's think about this. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There was lots of condemnation. Now, Now notice he doesn't say, therefore now there's no cause for condemnation. Oh, no, no, this is why it's so hard for us to wrap our brains around no condemnation because there's plenty of cause. This week, we have done things, thought things, said things that, that, that should be condemned. But I'm in Christ, and Christ condemned those sins and paid for those sins, and we're judged for those very sins. Therefore, since I'm in Christ, and those sins have been paid for justly, by a sinless man, the sinless God-man. Therefore, there's now no condemnation. It hadn't always been that way once we were dead in our sins. Ephesians chapter 2, in which we used to live when we followed this world and the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them doing those same kinds of things, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And check this out. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of what Christ's done, therefore, now, There's no condemnation because you're not that person anymore because you cried out to God. God paid for your sins and he joined you to Christ and you're safe inside of him. You're in Christ. To get to you, to destroy you, you'd have to destroy Christ. Good luck with that. Amen? Amen. He's the son of God. He's equal to God in every way. We are safe and secure. Wow, we're not getting what we deserve. So he's saying, now listen, he's saying, who could bring a charge? He's going to say this at the end of the chapter. Who's going to bring a charge against the ones God chose, God has pardoned, and God has paid for? So who could bring a charge? Well, the devil could bring a charge. That's his job. That's what his name means. Uh, Perhaps your conscience could bring a charge. Uh, Perhaps some vicious onlookers from the sidelines can bring a charge. But uh, how is it going to stick when the one who is making the decision about you is the one who paid? Not only did he pay, but he is the payment for all of your sins. How is it possible that you can be condemned if the one you're standing in front of is the one who paid for your sins. He's saying now, 
Therefore, there is no condemnation. The judge is the one who, verse 3, he condemns sin in the flesh. That means once he died for sins, he condemned the whole idea of it. He condemned every last sin that you used to commit, that you're committing now, that you'll commit tomorrow, and that you'll ever commit. He condemned the whole thing. It's gone. So how can you be condemned if sin has been condemned by God on your behalf? It's impossible. Therefore, now, there's no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus because what happened to Christ, if you're in him, happened to you. But if you're not in Christ, what happened to Christ did not happen for you. Sin was judged. It was buried. And then up from the the grave arose new life and resurrection power. And we were in him. God knew who we were before the foundation of the world. And he put our souls in Christ. You're safe. And therefore, now, there's no condemnation because you're in Christ. The scriptures say there, he was made as a sin offering. His purpose, God's purpose for becoming one of us through a human womb, conceived of the Holy Spirit, that's God himself, planting himself inside a human womb to become the God-man. The sole purpose was to be a sin offering. That's why your text says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. He looked just like a man, because he was a man. But he was more than that. He's the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the God-man. Bearing our sin in the likeness of sinful flesh, he looked like us, but without sin. So he could offer himself. That's why he had to be God. Because some other dude, if he's standing up there, I don't care how holy or, or, or he's a prophet or whatever, he has sins. So one bankrupt guy can't bail out the world of all of their uh, moral depravity if he's got his own to pay for. That's why it had to be someone who was like us, but not sinful like us. And that's what the text says, that law of the spirit of the life that was in Christ, that conquered the grave, that paid for those sins and rose again, He set you free from the power, the law of sin and death. And more, (laughs) man, it would have been just cool if God just would have said, you know what, I'm going to pardon you guys for all of your sins. That would have been like, what? Right? But instead of that, he says, not only am I going to take your sins onto me, I'm going to join you to Christ and make you co-heirs with Christ. Children of God, lavishing love upon us that one day we'll wear crowns and sit on thrones. This is what he tells us is our destiny. It would have been cool just not to get get what we deserve, let alone this. This is just out of this world kind of love. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation in your marriage. Are you in Christ? Then there's no condemnation in your marriage. There's zero, none. Yeah, do you fall short? Yeah. Is there unrequited love? Is, are there many people living de- quiet, desperate lives uh, 
silently because their needs are not being met. There's no condemnation for you in your marriage. None. You're in Christ. How about being a parent? We fall short. Uh, We have prodigals. I hear of stories of estrangement all the time. Were you the best parent? Were you always on? No. Therefore, because of what Christ has done, therefore, now, no condemnation for you as a parent. No condemnation for you as a spouse. No condemnation for you as a worker. Have you been the ideal worker? (laughs) Have you always done your work with a good attitude? Is your job what you've always wanted to do and dream of and all of that? It's okay. You know why? Because therefore, now, there is no condemnation. Not today, not tomorrow, not in a hundred million years. No condemnation. You can get excited. It's okay. It's not a sin. (laughs) No condemnation in your walk with God. Did you get up this morning and seek him? Did you seek him last week? How much prayer time? How many times did you let something slip out of your mouth that shouldn't or your thoughts wandered or your heart was hard? No condemnation for you in your walk with God. No, zero, zilch, nada. Zen zen, Japanese. (laughs) Threw that in there. There's no condemnation in Christ. Let it get a hold of you. Let it set you free. I'm in Walmart last night in a long line, and my mind is wandering, and I've been in this text for a week, and I was thinking, there's no condemnation for me. No condemnation, and it's going around, and I'm thinking, 38 years. No condemnation in ministry of being impatient or not acting as a becoming as a, as a pastor. No condemnation, no condemnation. I started to get really happy in that line. And it, it didn't matter how long the line was and, and whatever that lady was doing in front of me. It didn't matter. I was getting, wow, I'm... I have no condemnation for nothing. Did it make me want to shoplift? No. It made me want to share the gospel with Anna, the checker. She didn't look as happy as I was feeling. I was like, oh, I want to tell you, what are you doing tomorrow? Have you ever heard of The Rock? You know, you've already met the pastor. What? It made me want to stop and get something for my wife or to go home and cook her dinner and love on her. It made me want to get closer to God. It made me want to turn on worship music in the car. Our hearts have to understand, though I was on death row and deserved hell forever, God has reconciled me as his child and put me in Christ and said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for you in whatever level of life you want to bring up, whatever category. Therefore, therefore, now, no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus.
Was that just because it's Pastor Appreciation Month? <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right. Can I close on this, this, note, uh, this point, on this note here? Freedom from condemnation, one writer says, is not a pass to live sloppy, sinful lives. It frees us to serve the living God without the doom and gloom of a guilty conscience. We can learn and grow and be transformed without fear. As we deny our sinful impulses and die to things that once bound us and follow our king along the straight and narrow path that leads to life without guilt, without fear, we can serve God with great joy and grateful obedience and become more and more like him and seek to do his work, right? And so verse four says, and now that we're set free, you know how the righteous requirement of the law is met in us? We love God with all of our hearts and we love other people. Romans will say later in chapter 13, when you love you fulfill the law when we love. And you'll notice we don't fulfill. The, we're, yeah, we're not doing the fulfilling. The fulfillment is met in us passively as we've been set free and as we love the Lord and love one another. Therefore, now that you've believed you're in Christ, you're, you have freedom from condemnation. So he moves on to freedom to choose, which is something we didn't have before. We can choose uh, destruction and sin, or we can choose the spirit whose life and peace. Let's take a look at that right now. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Sometimes... I love how simple and logically the Bible speaks to us. And so here, freedom to choose, point number two, it's a no-brainer to choose the right thing, but it's not always so easy as Romans 7 pointed out. The things that I don't want to do, I end up doing, right? The things that I want to do, those are the things I don't do when my mind is not set in the right way. So he's going to show you, you have a choice now. Like Deuteronomy 30, 30 says, hey, God's speaking, Jehovah's speaking to his people. He says, this day I lay before you life and good and death and evil. You choose. And now we are free to, to choose. It, it's kind of like saying, do you want a $100 bill or a punch in the nose? And, and, and sadly, everybody in here chooses the punch in the nose from time to time. Amen. We do. There's just something about it. And he says, but I can fix that for you. If you just pay attention to these few verses here, you'll never get punched in the nose again. Or at least you'll lessen the amount of times you get punched in the nose. He says, number one, just an observation, verse five. He says, have you noticed? People who live frustrated, morally compromised lives with its consequential chaos... They have set the rudder in that direction. In other words, <laughs> sin just doesn't happen. The conflict between spirit and flesh and your sinful nature happens in the realm of your mind. And you either set the course to go up or down. That's, you get where you want to go. 
That's what he's saying. Have you ever noticed? He's just saying something really straightforward. He says, the ship doesn't go south and sail into the storm without the sailor setting the sails and the rudder in that desired direction. You end up where you have set yourself to go. You don't just end up doing this terrible thing. You had some options. Now, why would anyone steer their own rudder into a storm? Well, that's what we do because we have a heart that's deceitful above all things. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, your heart, sir, don't go with your gut. Because if you go with your gut or your heart, your heart is deceitful beyond all things. Who can understand it? Desperately sick beyond cure. But there's a, another way. You don't set your, your mind that way. You set your mind on things above. You set your mind on what God wants. You set your mind on Bible verses. That's what you do, and you'll get there. As at Kaiser, I was waiting for an elevator. It seems I do a lot of waiting. <laughs> I'm in lines. I'm in an elevator. And so a lady's standing next to me, and we both want to go up. And uh, a door opens, but the red down arrow lights up. The elevator is going down. Somebody at the third floor wants to go to the basement. That's their business, whatever. I'm not getting in there. So they, it shuts and they go down. And then it comes up and it opens up and we go in and I hit three. And she says, yeah, three. And I said, isn't it nice to go up? I'd rather go up than down. Amen. <laughs> And she smiled and she said, sort of like, amen with me. And then I said, in this life and in the life to come. And she just kind of nodded her head like, yeah, you're strange, but you know. <laughs> I said something like, I'm a pastor. And she goes, I oh, figures. <laughs> Do not be so shocked when the door opens up and you're at B. Guess who pushed the button B? You in your mind set your mind. I want to, I could go to three. I could go to B. I want to go basement. I'm going to hit B. You hit B, it goes down, the doors open up, and there you are in some hallway with the smell of B there, whatever that is. You know, they all, the doors open in basements like that. It's like, you know, I'm not going out there. <laughs> Don't be so surprised. You set the button. You do it every time. Every single time you sinned, you programmed it in S for sin. And the elevator took you there. And the doors opened up and you did your thing. But you got there because you set your mind to it. He says, now there's another way. The Holy Spirit's on board. And he gives you options. And he says, hit the penthouse. Go up. Go up. Hit the three. Hit the four. And you'll go there every single time. It's that easy. His point of sin just doesn't overtake you. Uh, David's on a roof. He's got a mind. He's been playing the harp the night before. He's got a mind. He sees a beautiful woman. He's like, hey, you know, rot row. That's it. Yeah. No, his mind, his mind, he sets the mind. He says, hey, go find out about her. And then, you know, the mind is still working. And then he comes back and says, hey, she's married to one of your soldiers, right? And the mind, the mind says, go get her anyway. 
B. He hit B. Because he's not thinking. But he set his mind there. And he says, the, the mind that is set, that you keep hitting B, you're going to open up and there's death there. That's what your verse says. The sinful mind set that way brings death in its various nasty, destructive forms every single time. And the sting of it is we have so much control with the Holy Spirit on board. What is it that the Holy Spirit of God, look at that, the Spirit of Christ, Christ, all used interchangeably, and the Spirit of God, used interchangeably. So let me just say this. Do you notice that the Spirit of Christ is used interchangeably with the Spirit of God? Therefore, Christ is God. Done. There. That's just a little throw, yeah, throw in for free there. And so, yeah, that's what David did. He, he hit the B button, but the Holy Spirit, if, if you're leaning on the Spirit of God, what can't you do? What can't you resist? The Spirit of God... Will, will not only command you, he'll enable you. So whatever God says, be holy, for I'm holy, he's he, the one who commands you, he lives within you, he will allow you the power to be what he's commanding you to be. When Peter said, man, I want to walk on that water, that looks like fun, but if you command me, I'll come to you. So the Lord standing on the water says, Peter, come. And of course, he's going to do what he could never do in his own power. He's going to get out of the boat, which he did. And he walked on the water. And that's symbolic. It happened. But it's also painting a picture of our entire Christian life. We could never do anything God wants us to do. But when he commands, be holy, stop gossiping. Use self-control and do not be sexually immoral. Watch what you're thinking about, young man. Then he provides the power as you set your mind to obey. You have a couple switches. Sin or spirit. He says, set it to spirit and the spirit of God will empower you to do what you could never do yourself. That's what he says there. It's just a beautiful... Thought. Now, I do want to say before we move on that sometimes you're thinking of just notorious vices that we're talking about setting your mind on. Not true. You can have a mindset that's just worldly, that's not set on spiritual things, and end up really in a hurt locker. And here's how it happens. Uh, Matthew 16 The Lord announces to Peter that he has to go to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. He'll be on a cross and all of this. And Peter, you'll recall, takes him, shakes him, like, Lord, come over here. I've got to talk some sense into you. You know, never, God forbid, that anything happen to you like that. Let's do it some other way. And the Lord says, get behind me, Satan, because, listen, here it is. You're not thinking about what God has in mind. You're not thinking spiritually. You're not setting your mind on what the Spirit desires, but you're rather thinking about what is good for men. The world thinks what, what, how, how you would think logically. And so that gave an open door to the devil was involved in that. And so many Christians aren't setting their mind on what the Spirit desires all day long. 
and your default will always be the logic of the world, what you saw on Twitter or Facebook or something <laughs> that comes from not the inspiration of the Bible. So we have to watch out for that. So the only way to be able to set our minds on the Spirit is to meditate on the Word of God day and night. Psalm 1 says to do. Read the Bible more. Serve the Lord. Be prayerful. Be thinking. Be engaged. How many times in the New Testament does it say, be sober, vigilant, alert? This is how you should be living. And then you set your mind on the thing that the Spirit uh, Desires, and he says, every time it'll be life and peace. But you gotta set your mind on the spirit. There's that sober warning, six, seven, and eight. And says, just by the way, if you don't do that, you'll never please God. You will never please God without the intervention and the leaning on the Holy Spirit. He says, it's hostile. There's a part of you, here's what he's saying. There's a part of you that hates God. The sinful nature, which is alive, it's been rendered powerless, it's in you. But there's a part of you that hates God, hates doing what he wants. That's what it says there. And you will never please God unless you're setting your mind on things above, on the word of God, what the spirit wants. But it comes down to this, your choice, your choice. Here's what I pray. Because sometimes I choose to go with the world. I do. I mean, so do you. I pray almost every morning, change my heart to want to do what's right. Change my heart to want to set my mind on spiritual things. Because if you don't want to do it, it's really hard to make yourself do it. But if I pray and I do every morning, help me love the things you love to despise the things you hate, then if I have that prompting that I want to do what's right, then I'll set my mind on the spirit and what he desires a lot more easy. Amen. Let me just show you what, what he's talking about. <laughs> a contrast of a mindset that fails when you're absorbed in yourself and your own power. He says the sinful mind, there's no power there. But let's talk about the mindset of the spirit. Do you notice the different emphasis here? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. It's almost funny. But he's doing it, the Holy Spirit saying, this is the, the terrible problem of me, myself, and I. It gets you Romans 7. That's what it goes. I, I could go on, and the, it just goes on for days. But then our text that we are going to go to for our third point right now is look at the, <laughs> there's hardly, I mentioned at all in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit. Why would you have to keep saying it? Look at this. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body's dead because of sin, yet your spirit's alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. 
there's about 20 times the use of me, myself, and I, and about 20 times spirit, spirit, spirit. If you want Romans 7, that try to do the Christian life in your own power. If you want the life and peace that Romans 8 promises you, then depend on the Holy Spirit who's in you. That's what he said. Let's close up here with these last words here. So we just read them. It is now freedom, last point, to be controlled not by our sinful nature, but by the Spirit of God. Now, this is the part I never got before I was a Christian. When I was 18, 19, my dad had just become a Christian. I didn't understand. I just thought he went bankrupt and he just turned to Christ uh, because he needed help in that way. And so, um, you know, I, lots of people were sharing the gospel with me on the streets, the city where I worked. And I never got this. And I told one guy this right on the corner. I said, look, I'm starting to believe there's a God because it seems like someone's after me. <laughs> because my dad got saved, as he calls it, and all the timing of people coming up to me and sharing the gospel. I just have a funny feeling about this. But look, I'm never going to become one. Because I don't like what you like. I don't like the songs you sing. I don't talk like you. I don't like anything about church. Nothing. I get bored in church. The pastor goes on forever. (laughs) I said I would hate it. How could I? I said even if I know it's true, I would totally hate it. No one said, oh, the old you. You become the Holy Spirit comes in. Jesus said, if anyone loves and obeys me, me and my father will come and make our home in them. Whoa. Now I get it. A new life, new desires, a new creation. I didn't get that part in Christian. People think today that we just found religion and we just start doing life differently, right? Because we're going to be good now. No. Something happened to us, a supernatural experience where the Holy Spirit came in to our hearts and changed us. We've been born again by this Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody said it was like waking up to a new world. The new morning, uh, the next morning, I should say, the sun shone brighter, the birds sang sweeter, the old elm tree waved their branches for joy, and all nature was at peace. You don't get that when you find religion. But when you find the missing piece of the puzzle that was, had a hole in your heart. And then the God who formed you, his spirit came in and fills that and mends the breach and gives you new life. Boy, that's what he's talking about here. And so with the Holy Spirit in charge, he says God's commands are God's enablement. I've mentioned a little bit about that. And here's the verse actually where you see the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God used interchangeably because Christ is God. And so here's what Paul's saying. Setting setting your mind on the sinful nature, living habitually in sin, he says, maybe that's okay for your godless coworker. 
He goes on to say, you know, maybe uh, some worldly, immature, uh, so-called Christian is in a backslide, but absolutely not you, not God's design. He says, you, however, you're not controlled by your sinful nature anymore. In fact, this is what sets you apart and defines you as a Christian. Because you have the Holy Spirit, and he's in charge, and he produces holy things in your life, if indeed you have Christ. Now, if you don't, he says, this is the test of whether or not you're a Christian. Whoever has Christ is not whoever does good so far, you know. It's whoever is joined to Christ, has the Holy Spirit, and doesn't live habitually in sin, but according to the Spirit, which is things like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. From the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, your lips speak. So if your lips are speaking profane and lying and gossiping and slandering people and cutting people down and being mean-spirited, we know what's in your heart. Jesus said that. But we also know what's in your spirit by how you live. And if you do holy things like love, joy, peace, self-control, these kinds of things, then we know you have a Holy Spirit inside of you. And that, he says, is the definition of being born again, of being a Christian. And so this, these are the kinds of things that evidence us being saved. And his commandments are his enablements. We will be holy because he calls us to be holy. Let's pray. You have been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.